Matthew chapter 6, and I want to thank you for affording me the time this week to study a chapter that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls one of the most uncomfortable chapters in the whole of Scripture. It's one of these chapters where you're forced to hold a mirror before yourself and it will not let you escape. We've been making our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount begins chapter 5. The first half of 5 deals with the Beatitudes. The second half of chapter 5 deals with how we're to understand the law of God. Flip the page into chapter 6 and we begin to read how the Christian is to perform spiritual disciplines. The chapter is organized by an initial introductory statement, verse 1, that it outlines three spiritual disciplines. First, how we're to give to the needy. Second, how we are to pray. And third, how we are to fast. Jesus is, he challenges us. He challenges us because there's an impulse as it relates to giving to the needy, which we'll look at tonight. An impulse to give in such a way that we want others to see us. He's saying if we give in that way, we will be rewarded, but it may not be the reward that you want. But he's saying that there's another way to give. And in doing that way, you'll receive the heavenly reward from your Father. I'll read the text and then we'll pray. Jesus says, this to his disciples beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your heavenly father who is in heaven thus when you give to the needy sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others truly I say to you they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's pray. Our Father, there is an impulse within each of our hearts to glorify ourselves and even tonight this pastor who stands before this congregation has that same desire to want to please others and I pray that you use these words to convict and to encourage as you have done in my life this week that these your people would cling to the gospel that much more in Christ's name we pray amen we do live in an age, don't we, where we receive a constant feed of news stories. So much that even a couple of weeks sometimes after a significant event happens, we forget about it. However, there are certain stories that have taken place in our country that just stick with us. One of those stories was in 2013 took place in Cleveland, Ohio. It was the story of Amanda Berry 
and two other women and one of their child who were rescued after being kidnapped and imprisoned for, do you remember how many years? 10 years living in this particular home. Do you remember it? Amanda was, as the story went, she was leaving her job at Burger King one day. The day before she turned 17, called mom on the phone, wasn't available. Called sister on the phone, wasn't available. Walking home, a van pulls up and she was not normally someone just to hop into the van with a stranger but there was another girl about the same age in the passenger seat of the van who she thought she may have recognized she got in the van with this man named Ariel Castro and Ariel Castro promised to take her home but on the way home he just had to grab something at his house real quick did she mind no no problem at all they got to the house they both women walked in the next thing she know double locked on the door and she disappeared for 10 years where she was subsequently abused and imprisoned. One day, Ariel Castro was leaving the house and for whatever reason, he forgot to lock the large inner door of the house. And in doing so, uh, realized that the door was open, Amanda went to the door, opened it up. The storm door was the only thing preventing her from freedom, but it too was locked and she began to scream. Charles Ramsey, one house over, was sitting on his porch eating a Big Mac and heard someone scream as if their daughter had just been run over. He ran over to ask what was happening and she began to say, I, I, I need to be freed, would you please help me? He eventually kicked the storm door out of the home. She crawled out with her daughter. They called 911. Cleveland police showed up, guns drawn in the house, and they found two more women who had been living in there for this amount of time. Overnight, Charles Ramsey, this storm door kicking neighbor became a hero. News outlets from around the country were wanting an interview with them. Anderson Cooper ran him down and asked him this question. Do you feel like a hero? Because a lot of people here are saying, no, 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 Ramsey said. I'm a Christian, an American, I'm just like you, Anderson Cooper said. Well, has like the FBI said anything about the reward or anything? Because, you know, there was a reward for finding her. Ramsey quickly replied, I tell you what, quote, give it to the victims. Yes, take that reward and give it to that little girl who came out of that house crying. I don't want that reward. You know, there are many reasons, if you watch these videos, to like Charles Ramsey. But with this comment, there's many reasons that you should love this man in this comment. He began to touch on this idea of the nature of rewards. He didn't say this, but what he implied is that the reward was actually in the finding and in the helping of that particular family. It's not the cash that the FBI offered. It's that deeper lasting reward that he forever knows he was a part of changing the life of another in, in the same way Jesus is teaching his disciples of all ages to turn down the temporary rewards of this world and to live for the lasting reward of your heavenly father in order to do this we must first know 
the problem of myopia. Now, unless you're an ophthalmologist or you have eye issues, you may not know. Myopia is the condition of nearsightedness. It's the ability or the, you can see things that are near, but when you look up, everything is a bit fuzzy. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, it's in that Jesus is saying that for the Christian, this can take place. We can be so focused on that which is in front of us, we can lose sight of that which is far away. Look at verse 1. I want to walk through a couple of phrases with you just to set the table for what Jesus is saying. Verse 1, beware of. Whenever Scripture gives that phrase, if you're walking along, you should just slow down a little bit because a warning is coming. Across the street, my former neighbor had a German shepherd. The only way to get to his house where the backyard was, you had to walk around the side of the little, a little driveway sidewalk, and you almost had to poke your head around to see where the German shepherd was if you wanted to ask him a question. There's a little sign that says, beware of this dog. And every time I'd walk in that driveway, I did. I kind of slowed down just a little bit, and I kind of peeked my head around, and Bobby would always say, why do you peek your head around? This is a nice dog. I said, he's nice to you. I don't know if he's going to be nice to me. And this is what beware of means in this context. Jesus is saying that if you just kind of keep walking casually in this next little portion of this text, there are circumstances that may harm you. Beware of what? Next phrase. It says practicing your righteousness before others. Huh. Interesting. Now, initially, that sounds like a statement of contradiction because if you've been with us, you take one page backwards Go to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus says, let your light shine before others. What's the problem? One time Jesus is saying, practice your righteousness. Let your light shine before others. The very next chapter, he says, beware of letting your light shine before others. But it's the next phrase that's the clue. That's the answer as to why he's giving us this warning. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them we are to let our light shine before others so that God will be glorified our problem is we like to let our light shine before others so that we will be glorified that sets the, the text and where the Lord's going and then he gives us three illustrations and we're just going to deal with one of them tonight. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. The exact meaning of this text is not fully known. Back in this, uh, during this time, the Roman Empire did require taxes of their people. And from those taxes, they did make, make, make distributions to the needy. And actually, there was an opportunity to voluntarily give money on top of the taxes to the needy. And the names of people who did give voluntarily, those names were stated publicly in the streets. It's not necessarily thought that that's what Jesus was speaking to. It was probably a more symbolic meaning of what he was trying to address. Simply, he was referring that the Pharisees did everything within their power to advertise their giving to the needy. Simply and with no pun intended, pun intended, excuse me, Jesus was saying, 
Don't toot your own horn. He's challenging this part of us that wants to, in every given chance, say, dun da da Look at me. You know, the reason why the offering plate drops a little bit when it goes by is because I'm dropping something pretty heavy here in case anybody is wondering. When the mercy love gift comes, there's a sense to which we all want to promote the fact that I'm, I'm giving something quite significant today. There is this impulse that we want people to know that. Now listen, we've all learned to toot our horn with humility and grace. That's the problem. Nobody does the dun da da and pulls the trumpet out. But in conversations with people, sometimes we may like to steer towards a particular family or something that we've done that might prevent, promote an opportunity where someone could say something nice about us. Or we might like to give in such a way that maybe a certain person that we don't want everybody to know, but there might be an important person that we may just want them to know that we give in this particular manner. All of us, in terms of giving our lives to financially, serving others, we all look for the role perhaps with service that I don't want the spotlight, but I would like a little bit of light to let other people to know what I have done. And that's what Jesus is challenging. The opportunities to do that, there's more options on how we do that than restaurants on Washington Road. Every single day, there's ways in which we have the ability to toot our own horn as to what, in fact, we have done and how we've given to the needy. And Jesus is saying, and this, is, this should stop you in your tracks. He's saying, beware. If you do that, you will receive the reward you want. You may receive the praise of man. Truly, underline that word. Truly, that's all you will receive and nothing more. You know, the language Jesus uses here when he says that, um, truly I say to you, you've received their reward. That phrase, it's a, it was a colloquial phrase that those who initially would have heard that would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. Uh, these archaeologists that do this type of work, they found this bundle of papyri, first century, and they opened it up, and it was all these, these uh, bills from the government. The government sent bills out to the people. The people looked at the bill they paid, sent it back to the government and essentially the government put a stamp on the equivalent of a stamp paid in full and that phrase paid in full that everyone would have heard that day is the exact phrase in Greek that's being used here what Jesus is saying is that if you decide that the praise of man is what you want when you give of yourself to the needy then when you receive that you're paid in full and there will be nothing else. You know, this is the part where I think that Lloyd-Jones is right. It's one of the most uncomfortable chapters. You know, just this week as I was just kind of doing what we do, right, we kind of think back on some of our actions this week. And I began to see how I subtly, gracefully manipulate certain 
conversations, certain emails, certain whatever to just make myself look a particular way to other people. And I just want to put that mirror down. And Lloyd Jones says you have to keep looking at that mirror long enough until you realize who you truly are. And then it's only then that you can fly to Christ and say, Lord, by your spirit, would you take these vestiges of the old man and just burn them and allow me to live in a different way. And that's where we begin to see these promises of this hyperopia. The promises of farsightedness is what Jesus is saying as to how we're to live our lives as Christians. That's what Jesus does. He transitions. He says, put your trumpet down. Turn from this desire to seen by others and live as a farsighted Christian. We see this in verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I'm a left-handed person. Believe me, it's a right-handed world. And Jesus actually confirms it right here. I think what he's saying is that most people, probably in that day, when they went to maybe give to the needy, you, you give with your dominant hand. You give with your right hand. And as you give with your right hand, what he's saying is that your left hand isn't even supposed to know what your right hand is doing. The idea is not only are we not to tell others of our giving, we're not even to tell ourselves of it. You see, we're so subtly sinful that we may have the self-control not to tell others of the way in which we give to people. But then in doing so, we begin to pat our back. I'm so glad I don't tell others about how I give. We begin to think about, we begin to ruminate on, oh, you know what, I, I, I'm gonna think about once again how I gave to the church in this particular way. I gave to this family and we can commend ourselves and say, that was, I'm, I'm proud of myself for those. And in doing so, there, there can be this puffing up of who we are and self-righteousness begins to build. You may think, you know, I didn't announce it with a trumpet. I didn't even announce it with a clarinet for that matter. But I announced it to myself and somewhere along the way I may have put a little special sticker on myself to say I'm one of those people who gives in that way. And what Jesus is saying here is that you're to give freely to the Lord and then you're just to freely walk away from it. What should characterize the Christian giving, it's self-sacrifice. It's self-forgetfulness, not self-congratulation. The Christian is not to tell others of what they've done, and they're not to tell it to themselves either. And Jesus says that this marks your giving, this self-forgetfulness, this self-sacrifice. And then here's the promise. The promise says this. It's in verse 4. It says, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Evangelicals have a hard time with the idea of God rewarding them. There's, we understand why at some level. We, we reject the heresy of 
the prosperity gospel that would say that if you give to the Lord, he'll give back to you financially, those types of things. So we understand that piece of it. I read a, a folk tale uh, this week that describes a woman who was walking on the side of the street. You may have heard this. On one hand, she had a torch. In the other hand, she had a bucket of water, and someone approached her, and she said, what, what are you doing? She goes, I'm taking this, uh, this bucket of water, and I'm going to the gates of hell, and I'm going to extinguish the flames. I'm going to take this torch, and I'm going to go to the gates of paradise, and I'm going to burn them down because I don't want people to believe that the proper motivation for loving God is either the fear of hell or the reward of heaven. The proper motivation, the reward of God is just loving him for who he is. And at one level, we can understand that particular motivation. But for the Christian, we are told over and over again that there, will, that there is a reward for those who listen and obey the Lord. I think the problem for those of us who just outright reject the prosperity gospel is we begin to think the nature of rewards. And, and for me, as I was thinking about this this week, you know, when I think of the nature of rewards, where I think I can get myself in a bind with this text sometimes is, is I immediately think that it's all in the future. And I begin to think of this moment where I stand before the Lord, the angels, every person, Adam and Eve, forward, and I'm going to stand on a platform like this. The trumpet's going to come out and play, and ladies and gentlemen, and the Lord's going to begin to make these congratulations about all the things that I've done. And there's part of me that just begins to say, there's something about that that just seems distasteful. And I begin to see the light just shining on myself, and I just say, that just can't be what has to, is being described here. And I'm not suggesting that this text doesn't describing anything in the future. I do think that there's some emphasis of future rewards, but I actually think that the emphasis of this particular text is present reward. That when we give in this manner, there is a present reward that we will receive. Well, what is it? It's not a public reward. It's a secret reward. It's an internal reward that we're going to experience. And you all have experienced this before. It's when you know of needs in the congregation, needs of those who have spiritual, physical needs, and you are able to give to that need, and no one knows about it, and in doing so, the need that was there was actually relieved. And then, you understand, in addition to that, the satisfaction of our Heavenly Father smiling on you. And if you're a believer, you've tasted that. And when that happens... That's the reward. And if you've experienced that, believe me, there is nothing sweeter, nothing better than can be given to you at that particular moment. We see just a glimpse of this returning to Amanda Berry's life one more moment. After she was 
rescued from that home, reunited with her family, endured a grueling criminal trial, began a lifelong process, I'm sure, of healing after this. She began to be asked the question, what are you going to do with your life now? A question she had not asked in over 10 years. She was given an opportunity to, she accepted a job at a local news station where she was working on the segment that had to do with missing people in Northeast Ohio. And people from all over the state would tune in when her segment was there. That's the girl who was held captive. And because she was drawing that much attention, her recovery rate for missing people was three to four times the national average. She began to be sought after by the uh, nationwide to begin to work on recovering missing people. When someone was found, what do you think Amanda did? Do you think that she stood, she opened up the segment with her trumpet, said, I did it again. I did it again, y'all. Because of me, this particular person was found. Or do you think she sat in the quietness of her own bedroom, just kind of when someone was found saying, I am good at this. I mean, I am just, I, my reward is, I just know how good I am at this particular moment. Or do you think when someone was found, when this son or this daughter was freed from the captivity of being kidnapped or from missing, and they're reunited with their mom or their dad, do you think she thought to herself, that's the reward that's the reward there was a need and I was used to bring about relief for this individual taking that over to what Jesus is saying is that when we have moments when through our giving through our serving through our cooking of meals through our praying through our encouraging of the needy when we see that we are part of pushing back the brokenness, the fallenness, the pain of this world, and we see the relief that it brings to another person. And when our contribution makes a difference, and in doing so, we know that our Heavenly Father is satisfied, saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we, that's our reward in the present. And it has a voice of this future reward that will come as well. I pray, as I have for myself and for you all, that this week we realize the discovery of joy of not looking to others, quieting that voice in our own hearts, and living before our Heavenly Father who sees us and live for his reward let's pray father we thank you for these texts that jesus provides on how we are to live with rewards in view and how you are our ultimate reward i pray O oh lord that when these subtle ways come before us on how we often glorify ourselves that we would mortify them and say, Lord, please allow my light to shine for you.
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.